So I am in a situation where I own more than one business. Um, this business has always been kind of my bread and butter, although there is a competing business in my, sorry, not a competing business, one of my businesses that's kind of competing for my time. Um, where, where do you kind of delineate the, you know, where I should be focusing my time on uh, in terms of scalability? Because they both could scale. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 48 of Business Therapy, the show where every week Jonathan and I meet with live professionals looking to get mindful advice on their business problems. Today on the show, we have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Hello. Why don't we start by uh, you telling us a little bit more about yourself, your business, and the challenge you wanted to talk about today? Sure. Um, so I have a couple different businesses, but kind of my day job and, and the reason why I tell you I have a couple different businesses is it kind of plays into the overall problem. But my day job is we are a digital consulting firm um, slash marketing firm um, that kind of helps mid-sized organizations. So between 100 employees and 500 employees um, with their digital marketing strategies and, and marketing efforts. Um, we're an organization that has about six employees. We do about a million dollars a year in revenue. Um, and really the problem right now is that we keep coming up against this threshold of kind of a million in revenue and not really being able to scale past that. Um, kind of why that problem exists is because, you know, we're obviously limited on knowledge. Um, and so some of the constraints that, that go along with that is that we live in a small city. We don't have tons of available talent. As everybody knows, kind of the, the talent pool is very tough right now. Um, but even in, in our city, we only have 80,000 people. So it's really hard for us to kind of pull in new talent. Uh, having said that, we've got amazing staff currently and, you know, we do a pretty good job of servicing our current clients. But but to in order for us to continue to scale, uh, we need some more of that kind of top tier talent or I need to be able to replicate what's in my brain and give that to somebody else. Got it. And tell a little bit more context, if you could, about you said you got a small team now. If you could give us a more of a flavor for how is the delegation set up today? Like what what kind of expertise are you holding versus what you're and also are they like full time, part time contractor? I guess a little bit more about the relationship would help contextualize it. Yeah, and I think that's a great question. Um, so they're all full time right now. Um, I kind of take on most of the client facing relationships, which is one of our big issues right now in that. You know, if I'm taking all of these meetings, then I'm not out there selling, which is probably what I do best. Um, and I really need to be kind of out there selling and continuing to grow the business. Um, we've got some really great people on our team. Um, Heidi, who's one of our kind of uh, uh, top employees, uh, she really focuses on on doing a lot of the back office stuff. However, she's not always like the most client facing person in the world. I mean, she she does it, but she doesn't love to do it. So, um, you know, kind of putting her in that position uh, is also a little bit a little bit difficult um, just because, you know, she's really, and she's also really great at doing all the, the back office stuff and getting the actual consulting work done so I can go present it to the client and actually do the client facing stuff. Mm -hmm. So you, you would say that you're really out of the six folks, you're kind of the only client facing person. Would that be accurate? Yeah. I mean, we've got coordinators on, on staff as well, but they wouldn't be doing any of the actual consulting work. So they would do kind of the update meetings to say, here's where we're at today, maybe do some some basic reporting meetings. Uh, but when it actually comes to the actual consulting uh, portion, I'm the one that's doing that most of that work. Mm -hmm. So then that, uh, go ahead, John. So you're both selling and you're also doing the actual uh, activity. Like what, what's the team? What's What's the rest of the team doing? 
Uh, so we have started to kind of go away from just our core consulting business and, and get more into the actual marketing side. That is a demand mainly from our clients. And so a lot of our clients came to us and said, you know, what you're giving us is great. What you're telling us about kind of our current situation is fantastic. Um, however, we, we don't have anybody to do this actual work. So we need you to come in and build, you know, our Google search engine marketing programs. We need you to build the creative. Uh, we need you to do kind of all the actual production work as well. And so we've ended up hiring a couple of creatives um, and then also some copywriters and stuff like that to kind of help do some of the actual work. And, and that's kind of taken us away from the actual core business competency, which was the actual consulting and, and data analytics component. What's the majority of your work of your, what's the majority of the composition of your work right now? Yeah. So I would say we're probably about 70% consulting, about 30% production slash creative. And when you set yourself up, what were you? Or what uh, was the intention? Yeah, it was like 100% consulting, right? So um, what, what we would typically do, and this kind of gives a little bit more context, is we would actually be the person that sits between the client, um, a brand, and their agency. So we would actually do all the data analytics, the measurement, uh, come in and tell them like, okay, your website, your page is loading very slow. Um, here's what your actual cost per acquisition is per customer. Here's what the lifetime value of that customer is to your organization. Here's what you actually should be spending on marketing. Here's what you are spending on marketing. Um, and here's what you can afford to spend on marketing. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of our clients didn't really have the answers to those questions, right? They didn't even know what the lifetime value of, of their customer was. They didn't know what the cost per acquisition of a customer was. Um, and so that was a hundred percent of our business was really building out kind of that model for them. And that, you know, it seems simple on paper, but when you get into bigger organizations, it's, it's not necessarily very simple, simple question, especially when it comes to the banking world, for example. Um, and so that was a hundred percent of our business, you know, from that, you, 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 not to say that, you know, those agencies weren't doing a good job at the time. Um, they were do some of them were doing a great job, but, but a part product of that is them saying, okay, well, you know, you're telling us all this great stuff. Why don't you just do this work for us? And, and then that way we don't have this middleman and, and it takes a lot of work off their plate as well. And so that's kind of how we've transitioned a little bit more into an agency. And the way the business is now, there's a few things before we jump in. I know we always like to front load a lot of, a lot of questions. The way this is now, it seems like there has been some transformation organically from where you started. So scaling, definitely hearing loud and clear that scaling is the, the challenge you're feeling right now. But before we jump into to scaling, is it the current model that you want to scale? Or is it what, what is it exactly that you're wanting to scale? Just generally, you want the business to go how it's going in whatever direction it's going and be able to do more of what's coming your way? Or is it you want to curate a direction that kind of speaks more to what you want to be doing? If you could talk about that for a minute. So I think I've always preferenced the high value work and the high value work is the consulting component. Uh, it's what we love to do here. I mean, even our creative staff are getting like cross-trained on doing some of that consulting work just to understand at least some of the data that we're getting. Um, but there's so much that goes into that, right? Like the, and this is kind of the constraint is like if in order for you to be able to do the consulting, you need to understand the actual data platform. You need to understand how that business actually functions, what makes that business profitable and not just across one business, across all of our clients. And so, um, you know, we do banking and finance, we do energy companies, we do sm some small business stuff too, some e-commerce stuff, you know, like that's a lot of different businesses to kind of handle for a team of six people. Um, to kind of come back to your question, I think we would want to scale wherever it makes sense for us and wherever it's actually possible for us to scale. 
I've, we've been around for eight years. I've kind of come to the conclusion that, you know, the consulting side of our business is really difficult for us to scale. Now, maybe, maybe there is a solution to that. Um, but that's why we've kind of transitioned into more of the production stuff because there's more of that talent available than there is the kind of consulting talent. And, and it's also way more reasonably priced, right? You, you know, you're definitely paying six figures for a, a mid-level consultant and you're, you know, paying quite a bit less for some of that production talent. So, um, that's, that's kind of, you know, my answer to that question is we'd scale wherever we could scale at this point. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that answer from, from me at least begets the question, then why do you want to scale? Because it sounds yeah. that the answer to that question is, you know, we're scaling where we can because there's business there and because this talent fits the bill. But I guess wh why is it, is it financially driven? Is it because you love the work? I guess touch on that a bit. Yeah, so uh, that's something I've actually struggled with for for quite a few years, um, and, and probably what's led me into opening other businesses. And so, um, the lifestyle side of scaling obviously is not pleasant. Um, you go through quite a few long hours, and you know you you really crush yourself to kind of because you have to onboard all of these people, you have to train all of these people, you have to really get them familiar with the client relationships, and in order to kind of you have to kind of do the upfront selling in front of that. So that means that you have to actually you know, service these clients prior to actually hiring somebody, uh, unless you want to have a massive upfront financial investment. Um, but I do think it's financial. So, you know, if you're doing a million dollars a year in revenue with six people, sure, you're doing well, but you know, you're not, uh, you're not retiring at 40, for example. Uh, you know, I'm 33 right now. I'd, I'd love to kind of set up some sort of exit strategy for myself over the next 20 years. Um, it doesn't need to be tomorrow. And, and, you know, this business has legs and can go on for a long time, but, but there definitely needs to be an exit strategy at some point. Um, I didn't start this business from scratch. I actually bought into it. And so, um, you know, I've got some sort of financial uh, investment in this business that I need to see some return on eventually. Now, that that probably won't be in the next five years. But in 20 years, I'd like to see some sort of uh, exit strategy. And I think scale is the way that you have to do that. I don't think it's possible if you're the lead consultant to have an exit strategy and with a team of only six people. Is the work that you want to scale, is that... Uh, very is that fairly well defined at this point yeah i think so so i think um the, the way to scale it is to get the foot in the door with the consulting side of the business and then really start scaling the agency um, portion of it and so that is you know video creative the actual graphic creative assets search engine copy doing the actual search engine marketing component media buying is a big portion of our business as well uh, so on top of like all the revenue we do, uh, we also have a massive component of revenue that's just media buying. Now we don't make a, a a commission on that, and maybe there is an opportunity for us to make a commission on that. We just charge fees, but but media buying is a, a massive massive undertaking, um, but can also net you quite a bit of money. And so th there's probably uh, a couple of different facets of the business that we should scale, um, in my opinion. So the kind of creative component of that of that um, the difficulty with that is that's very subjective. And so we come from something that's very quantitative, which is, okay, here's the, what the data is telling you. Um, here's what you should do to something that's very qualitative and that somebody doesn't like a picture because it's not as pretty as they want it to be. Um, that's a very difficult industry to kind of transition to. Um, the other side is the media buying, which is very quantitative and very in line with what we're doing. Um, you know, we can buy, we've got preferred rates with a lot of of organizations, especially here in Canada. Um, and it allows us to buy media cheaper than a lot of, a lot of other agencies. And so, and, and that is because we've got the data to kind of drill them down on pricing. And so I think, uh, media buying and then also kind of the creative side of our business are what really need to scale right now. And then with the caveat that the consulting needs to be that foot in the door. So, so you don't need to scale the consulting. 
I mean, I think it needs to scale a certain component, but I mean, the, the problem I'm coming to you with is like, I'm that only talent, right? So, so how do I fix that? Right. I, I, I don't, I need to scale that consulting, but I'm the only person that can do it. What, what I'm trying to get a sense of is how dynamic it is and, and for how, how many sequences or cycles of this have you gone through already? So like, uh, it sounds like question. it's been shifting for a while. You know, yes. you, you start off well with one intention and then you saw other opportunities. And because of your breadth of expertise, you started pursuing them. But I'm trying to get a sense of, are you still in that seeking mode or right. have you gone through this a few times already? Yeah, and I think that's a great question. We have gone through it a few times. And so kind of the last time I came, came up against this, I decided that I was going to start a restaurant. And so... <laughs> You know, I just well, kind of threw in the towel and said, we're good at the size we're at. I'm just going to do something else kind of with my, any spare brain power I do have. Uh, and so, yeah, we've gone through probably three cycles of us kind of coming up against this limit, dropping back down a little bit, coming back up against this limit again. So because the dynamic is, and it's funny you say, you know, going, you know, your scope was really constrained and now you expanded it. You know, you opened a restaurant. Yeah. Um, a lot of times when people, when we're talking about scaling, the, the, what gets conflated is scaling the person versus scaling the work. And right. so because you're so driven and because you see so much opportunity and because you have such a breadth of exp expertise and experience, sometimes you start thinking about, I want to scale this because if I could just do more, if, if there were two of me, you know, how amazing this would be, but you still are in a hundred, but it, I'm trying to get a sense of how sure you are of what it is that you're scaling. Right. Um, so on the consulting side, uh, I am sure of what can scale and that is the data analytics component. So um, that we can definitely hire for. That's a very sp specific skill set. Um, on the creative side, I mean, I think it's, you know, creative in general, right? It's the video creative, like that's pretty defined. Um, but on the consulting side, I mean, I say it's data analytics, but um, what I guess I'm struggling with is like, how do you find a data analytics professional that also understands, and, and maybe you have to scale it by vertical. And maybe that's a question for you. How do you find a data analytics professional that understands the business of finance, who understands the business of energy companies, for example? Um, or do you just hire by vertical and just kind of bite the bullet at the start and have this massive upfront investment and just kind of hope for the best in terms of net new customer acquisition? Because that's also, you know, not necessarily a struggle right now. We could probably take on more, um, but it's also a massive onboarding process. Yeah, We'll answer that in a minute. So I'm getting very close. So I want to just like open the floodgate and start letting you have a lot of <laughs> thoughts. But I do want to, I want to, for my side, before we get to that phase, I want to touch on one more thing because, you know, Jonathan kind of teased it, but you hit these walls or these limits you were talking about. And then it, it made you want to divert your energy and start a restaurant or you have multiple businesses. I think this is a really important part of the conversation to come because when you talk about, I can't scale me anymore, I don't have any more capacity, or you're inferring you don't have any more energy for this, but you have plenty of energy and capacity because all the other businesses, you could have put it here. So talk a little bit more about how it felt when you knew you were hitting a wall. It's not that the wall was, you didn't have any more energy or time left to work, but that you knew you had to move that energy somewhere else that felt more productive or felt more energizing at that time. Yeah, and, and so I think that's um, probably speaks a lot to my personality, right? It, it's the the monotonous tasks that really drill me down in terms of energy. And, and if, if it was up to me, I'd do five minutes of one thing and really what I do right now, I'll, you know, I'll spend five to 15 minutes on one thing and switch to something else and switch to something else and switch to something else. I don't have these massive bouts of productivity on one particular task. Um, and so I guess that's like a, probably a personal limitation. Um, 
now to combat that, I obviously have somebody that works with me. That's fantastic at, at being very laser focused on getting particular tasks done. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's probably a, a personal limitation right now. And I wouldn't even say it's a personal limitation. I actually, ironically, I espouse this cause I work very similarly and it's, it's actually takes a lot of self-awareness to know, okay, I've been working on something for 10 or 15 minutes. And then the marginal utility of keeping to work on that task versus switching is you being very much following what is feeling good and making you productive in the moment. So even though you may classify that traditionally as, oh, this is a bit limiting because it's almost like an ADD style working. I think it's actually a very advanced work mode because you know that you can get more productivity from juggling things and sequence that are more exciting or more fresh kind of in that moment. So even though it seems more chaotic, you can actually drive a lot more productivity that way. And it's something that you see in entrepreneurs, I think at your level that other people would find very intimidating because the idea of switching so many things and juggling so many balls, it seems like you have to have an almost crazy personality to do so. Um, But I, I can speak from personal experience that that level of creativity and being able to channel it minute to minute in places where it wants to go, that's how you can work three jobs. It's how you can build three companies simultaneously. So I wanted to address that because this idea that that is chaotic or somehow limiting, I think is something we need to challenge and something that you can continue to channel, uh, even scaling your current business, uh, something that should be should be cultivated, not scrutinized. Right. And I appreciate that because it makes me feel uh, not so bad for probably having a little bit of ADHD. (laughs) Yeah. The, The challenge with it, though, is everything becomes limited to you. You know, so like that, and that's why, you, you know, obviously then you become up against the, the scale problem, but you're not but finding a mini me to do all the things that you're trying to do at the same time, obviously is, uh, is, is, is unrealistic, but to the extent you've been through the cycle several times with what you want to scale, um, how much time have you spent on trying to package that or put it into some sort of process or sequence or breakdown of activities? Yeah, so I think we've spent quite a bit of time on the the internal process of like onboarding, the actual processes of like automation, even trying to automate something, things like reports and stuff like that. Um, I think where we kind of come up against that wall again is that client relationship side of things, right? So the fact that I need to be in a meeting at least an hour a week with every one of my clients and then therefore half my week's gone, you know, so... So I think that's even ed, even conditioning clients on, okay, well, you know, you're only going to see me every two weeks or you're only going to see me like, you know, once a month um, is a difficult thing, but it's something we've definitely started to try and do. Um, that's not to say that I'm not hyper-focused on their accounts. We are, you know, very much internally hyper-focused on those accounts. And, and really it shouldn't be this long, massive meeting to have multiple hours that you need to kind of pick my brain. I should be able to de- deliver my whole message in one hour a month. Um... So I get, but, but it still kind of constrains me in the fact that like, I still have that in my calendar, which then impacts, you know, how, how much I can do other things. And it really structures my month when obviously I'm, I'm just talking about how I'm a guy that doesn't like structure, right? Uh, You know, structure, structure is my kryptonite. So, uh, that the business is forcing me to be structured, which is okay, but it's, it's not how I work the best. So let's focus just on those meetings then, because that's uh, something we can really like, you know, that would be very clear, you know, how how to scale. Have um, have you sequenced through or or detailed like what typical issues come up during those uh, meetings? 
Because yeah. one of the things you said was they pick your brain. That sounds like a pretty broad scope. Um, right. Sure. And I don't know if that's included in pri- in your pricing, but. Yeah, it definitely is, right? Like we're, we're paid by the hour. So um, with, with a pretty fixed monthly rate, so you pretty much, we work more or less on a, we call it a subscription model, but it's more or less a retainer that they work back against um, on a monthly basis. And, you know, uh, there is, I think, um, there is some questions that maybe other people can answer. And then there are just some questions that, you know, I don't believe that somebody else outside of maybe a few select individuals would really have the context and that, that maybe that sounds arrogant, but I don't think it is um, the context in life experience, just in terms of like the, all the different things they've done through business and digital and all that type of thing to answer that question. Right. It's, it's a very particular thing, especially when you talk about, for example, Canadian credit unions and like uh, how Canadian credit unions operate and the, the kind of con- the, the issues they come up against. And then I'm sitting there kind of with all that knowledge to be able to say, okay, well, this is how you could probably fix that problem. And here's a you know solution that I have in my head. To answer your question, I haven't spent a lot of time packaging up all of those kind of bits of knowledge into, okay, here you go. You can just go open this file, so-and-so on my team, and this will give you all the information that you need. And that sounds impossible anyway, because it sounds like it could be any kind of question. I'm just trying to see if it's a check-in meeting and it's regularly scheduled, to what extent are there routine elements of it that you could proactively have someone meet with them you know, about so that you're literally just doing consulting. Um, and then also separating out what percentage of that is consulting versus what percentage of that is selling, you know, uh, upselling business right. effectively. Right. And so I think we do have a good, um, we, so we built that kind of check-in process with the coordinator level uh, staff. So the coordinator level staffs, you know, well-trained on being able to understand all of the analytics and going in and actually doing that checkup meeting. Um, but I do think that there is, you know, a component of that meeting, which is the consulting component to say, okay, here's your campaign's not doing well. Here's how we fix that. Or uh, you want to launch a new campaign into market. I need to be there to be able to say, okay, well, here's, here's the nuance of that particular geographic area and that particular type of individual that you're trying to access, for example. So that stuff's, you know, the hard knowledge transfer stuff. Sure, you probably could find a search engine specialist that would be able to tell you some of that stuff, but they need to be, we need to be able to pair that search engine specialist with somebody that's also client facing because those two types of individuals typically aren't the same, um, which mm-hmm. is, I guess, is the, the difficulty, right? Those people that are very data focused or very uh, technology focused are not always the, the, no, there are, I don't want to offend anybody. There are definitely those people <laughs> out there, uh, but, but yeah, they're not typically the client facing types. Yeah. Well, and, I'd like to zoom out just for a minute because Jonathan's questions beget this idea that there's always going to be a way through analysis, through effort to delegate and automate because at the end of the day, that's the only way to scale. And that's the the way that you can think about it. But I'd like to say, come out a bit and talk because I think in your situation, we can say very simply what I just said, which is you can assume that automation can happen to anything you do. And we could spend the rest of the session saying, like, let's pick your brain about how you could better document decision criteria and get your requirements for what you do down to the fact where you only need to find somebody who has enough intellect and soft skills to develop um, your protocols. Now, that takes a tremendous amount of work. So let me set up kind of a continuum. Um, for the point I'm trying to make, which is on one side of the continuum, you yourself are super passionate about the type of consulting and the type of client outcomes you're doing. So you will not compromise 
on scaling that vision, in which case you're going to have to do the tedious work at some point that Jonathan is starting to, to, to introduce, right? Which is you're gonna to have to document, you're gonna to have to really break it down and automate systems through people or technology. But on the other side of that continuum is, is sort of somebody, and you kind of started to articulate this, who might say is not that actually tied to a product or service or the, or the vision of the client interaction, but more so is looking to create jobs for people, you have a financial objective, what have you. And on that side, you're not going to be able to document or really break it down because you're not married to a particular process. You're actually just married to the idea of scaling as part of your overall business strategy. And in that case, if you're on that side of the continuum, on the most extreme, really, you don't have, you don't even, this is again, the continuum of extremes. You don't care about what the product is as long as, as clients continue to like it and pay for it and that it, it right. can scale. And when you're on that side of the spectrum, then you can actually start to incorporate, okay, I've got staffing constraints in my geographic area. I've got budget constraints. So then it doesn't become, how can I take this process and break it down for the, the situation? It's what is the process I can scale given where I am now and what people are available and what clients are willing to buy. But like, you've got to kind of place yourself on that continuum. And that's sort of that why aspect of it. And if you can pick there as a start, then the dimensions will start to intersect of, how much integrity do I want to have in the product or service I'm offering versus how do I work with the people I have at hand and the budget I have and the client base that I have? Um, and then you can start to think of a scaling strategy a little bit differently. And, I, and I'll kind of expound on that, but I'll pause there and see if that resonates with you. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. Um, and, and to kind of answer, there's a little bit of a question in there. I think I'd be on the, be on the side of the continuum where I'm like, okay, I'm just, I just want to scale now. Like I've been through the, the process of like, here, I want to control everything. And now I'm just like, okay, let's just screw it. Let's just scale. Let's just find something that people want to buy and let's just sell the shit out of it. Yeah. And when you're on that side, then like, I'll come back to, to Jonathan's point of it. It's not even, I think as relevant and Jonathan, I'll give you a chance to rebut me, but it's not even as, as relevant on a particular meeting or a particular thing that you're doing right now. And how would you bring it down? It's now going to become my advisement, at least, is we're going to turn to your people that you have. We're going to turn to the, to the base that you have. And scaling can happen organically. But scale, the other side of actually scaling is scaling sustainably. And that's a dimension right. we haven't put a word to yet. But that's the issue I think you're struggling with. Because you could take a burst of your very powerful energy at any given time and start building infrastructure. But then it crumbles the minute you look away. So the issue is scaling sustainably. And for the conditions that you're articulating, sustainable scaling is going to have to be bolstering your people. And the process that you need to work on is helping them understand how to scale. The actual delegation and automation you need is delegating the process of scaling the company away from yourself. Because the fact that you would need to be involved is going to damage the sustainability of anything you try to put together. And I can talk right. about more more of that in a second. Jonathan, you wanted to, to sneak in there? And I, and I don't want to rebut that. That's actually, I was trying to get to that for that same point from, from the other end. Because to answer, there is no one that's going to scale you in terms of seeing the unique opportunities and relationships and possibilities within a given conversation. But when I was trying to get to the specificity of what it is you're trying to scale, it's not the process that you're following necessarily, it's the result. So what's your objective in this meeting? And is it possible that someone else can at least maintain the client relationship or possibly even sell one thing, 
you know, and if, if you could be more clear about what it is a successful outcome would be, not what's the most successful, what would be successful if you were there, but what is a possible objective that you could place on this? Um, that, that's where I was trying to get to. Right. And I think those are great points. Yeah. So just the, to continue then, it kind of turns the idea on its head when you're explaining the conditions you want to, which is let's find a product and let's scale the hell out of it. So what happens then is you need to take the burden off of you because with that kind of loose constraint or loose uh, requirements, the only blocker is going to be you. You have a team already and the meeting just to kind of say it loosely that you might want to have next is let's get the team in a room and say, let's all brainstorm together. You guys pitch me an idea of something that would make you excited to do without me involved. Because that's the essence of scaling, especially the scaling that you're looking for. And you know from your kind of different business endeavors, what keeps the energy moving to create is you have to be excited about it. But in the case that you're talking about scaling, you're not trying to scale something that you feel super passionate about. You're scaling for its own sake. So the people that are going to be doing the work they have to sustain that energy and you have to determine what they find exciting. Now, do they find right. exciting to find more colleagues? Do they find exciting to do this industry versus that industry? Do they find it more exciting to do this product versus that product? What you need to be at this point to scale in the way you're talking about as a facilitator to find that energy and find how it combines to make something. It may be nothing like you're selling right now or nothing that you personally could do, but the essence of scaling a team with those with this at this part in the continuum is to harness that from your own people and have them build an engine of their own interest and energy that can be sustainable. And it might be like a much more juvenile product, but it won't matter at that point because the objective for you is to not have to be involved or a model because no one can fill that model. So I'll pause there if you have any reflection. Well, I, I think that's a really good point. And we, you know, obviously we've got staff that are capable of, of doing that now. I guess you kind of come up against the issue of how do you keep staff motivated? Now, they are very good at being self self directed and stuff like that. But how do you keep staff motivated when you're stepping away to say, okay, you guys go build something great, or you come up with a great idea, and, and we'll go do this? Um, how do you keep them motivated through that process? Is it, you know, monetary? Or, or do you give some sort of ownership? You know, how do you how do you do that? Mm -hmm. the, the quick answer for me is authority and autonomy are one of the biggest motivators for people, just universally. Right. So yeah. when you talk about, I don't even think it needs to be monetary. I think if you give them the time and the coaching and the mentorship to sort of build the business they wanna build it, that's going to set the, the groundwork for sustainable scaling for that, for that group of people. And really all you're doing in that coaching and mentoring is creating a container. That's the challenge that you have now for you, creating a container where they have more autonomy and they have more authority. And that means you could say you have this much budget based on our company budget from the work we're doing now, or you, I want you to make decisions up to this point before you reach out to me. You can always be there and you can try to curate your time, but cultivating that authority and that autonomy in your people tends to be the most motivating thing people can go through because they might not be in at your point where they have the finance, they have the capital or they have the risk tolerance to do their own entrepreneurial ventures. But the next best thing is being able to have entrepreneurship is I guess one of the buzzwords, right? Where you create right. a container where they can be creative and use some of your capital as a, as like to hedge their risk and to be creative and allow their own creative capacity come out because whatever is the result of that is likely, you know, you have to think about the excitement you feel for starting a new business you're excited about 
you want to draw that out of people because that's how you're going to scale. But you're going to get the benefits of that scaling financially because your capital right. is is staked in, in the venture, basically. Yep. I think that makes a lot of sense. And when you said, uh, how do you keep people motivated when you're stepping away? Just expand on that. Like, what, what, what do you see? How do you see it playing out? Uh, I mean, just so like, and, and I'm not to say that our staff's like this, um, and they'll probably listen to this and be like, hey, <laughs> we're, we're pretty motivated. Uh, and they are very motivated. Um, but but just as as you start to step away, or sorry, as, a, as the business owner starts to step away, you can never expect the people that work for you to kind of work as hard as you do. I don't think that's a realistic expectation. Um, and so I guess that's maybe on to you, right? Like, you know, they're, they're going to go home at five o'clock, right? And, and they're, they're not going to be as invested in making sure that that business is absolutely, or that portion of the business is absolutely as sustainable as it possibly can be. And they're not going to, you know, value the company's reputation as much as you do as the owner. So how do you kind of put all of that into an individual and, and keep them motivated? whatever it is that they're yeah. doing. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So, and, and the problem is because you're, when you're such a driven person, you have so many things motivating you. Um, but that's why it is important to have that dialogue Sam mentioned to bring out what it is that's, that potentially could drive other people. Yeah. Right. And, and again, I think I, I hear your story and I can relate to it in some ways myself. You know, we have multiple things going on and, I think the biggest thing that that became clear to me is you can never expect somebody to work like you work as you've been challenged by. And like you can never expect somebody to work, like have the energy to work multiple jobs and this and that because we're outliers in that in that regard. But it doesn't mean you can't channel that sort of uh, container for them to build something that really works for them. And whatever that thing is, especially when you have the flexibility you've articulated of you don't have a clear vision of what it needs to be. You just need them to be you know, what would excite them to show up nine to five and maximize their productivity? Because if you think about it from the perspective, you'll never get more out of people than setting up a container to maximize whatever they can produce in the way they want to produce it. And when you can find that lane, especially when you get a small team together and they all agree like collaboratively, this is the maximization of what we would like to produce given ideal conditions. That's your hint of what it is going to be to scale. Because whatever that thing is, is the scalable product. Because otherwise, whatever you can conceive from your perspective or your own experience, they'll never be able to execute on it. And it's not because they're incapable, because they're not you. So if you drive scaling from that perspective, that it has to be something that you conceive and that you try to find all the pieces for somebody else to execute, that vision is always going to be fighting uphill. They've got to take the lead on what they can do. And that's sort of seeding that control. And in that way, it might not be scaling what you thought, but it will be scalable and it will be sustainable. Right. And, and just so it doesn't feel like it just too maybe touchy feely in terms of like, you know, giving people the, the, you know, empowering people, but we actually believe that that's the, the process that works. You couple it with where very specific results that you're looking for. And when you start listing what they are, that's when you realize that your scope is usually way out of whack. When your, your scope ends up becoming, like I said, conflated with what your capability is, as opposed to, what is a scope that is scalable? What is a scope that is measurable for other people, not just for the unique blend of what you're bringing to the table? And, right. and 
that's if I had to say what I think the crux of it always is in these scenarios where somebody is has a blend of capability and has the, the motivation and all of those things, it's they're looking at how they're able to do something and their and and the and what they could have maximized in that situation as opposed to what is a, a successful outcome and is it at least in the range of theory that someone else could achieve a, su a successful outcome as well. Maybe not exactly right. the way I would have, but is it possible somebody else could have done this besides me? Yeah, I, I think that's that's a great point. Um, and I think that's probably something that I, I definitely have struggled with, right? Is that I, I don't think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm always looking at what, when, when I, when I kind of outline what should be the kind of performance indicators, I'm not outlining, you know, what's maybe important to that individual. I'm kind of outlining what's important to me. And, and I think that maybe is how I have to shift things is, is to move it to be what's important to those individuals and, and how do we give them autonomy and ownership? So those are awesome, awesome ideas. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it's one of those things where your role then becomes when we talk about servant leadership is kind of pithy, but like coaching, mentoring, if you have them generate the idea and then you kind of turn your own experience and business acumen to support them executing the idea or helping them work through in, a, in an expedited manner why that idea won't work so that they can start to work out some of that creative energy and steer themselves towards something productive. That's where your experience powers a business. That's where your ability to know what will work with a client, won't work with, won't work with a client. Where one crazy idea might have bearing if they have enough energy for it versus where it won't. That's how you, you know you ask, well, what what is your point in that? Infusing that, it only takes a few minutes here or there, but that's where experience really translates to value. It's the true consultative mindset. So turn it away from the clients and toward your own people. Help them cultivate something that they can make tangible, that they can sell, that they can actually monetize. Because if you can help them, that's you crafting the generation under you. It's people that don't have that sort of dynamism that you're used to translating success so easily now. Helping give that to them is going to make them have something that they would feel proud to scale for you and with you. And I think that's really, it's a very powerful thing. Like you said, kind of shifting that thinking. Yeah. Cool. And, and what we see is you had opened up with, you know, the market you're in, in terms of the, you know, the available talent or breadth of experience, et cetera. When we see this play out in markets where there is a, you know, a glut of, uh, of talent, you may be able to reproduce your soft skills, your experience or knowledge, your training capabilities, et cetera. But it's the mission or the drive that you have to be doing what you're doing that usually doesn't overlap. And even sometimes people find their perfect, you know, you know, clone, that person might have more capability than you in another area or another interest in a different area. And then it, their paths diverge. So it's actually good if you have to mindfully start thinking about what it is that I'm trying, you know, what, what successful outcomes would look like to me and what parts does that mean I could just let go of? And you're able to do that when you really have to look at uh, people as individuals, as opposed to like, I could just reproduce myself. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, and, and I think uh, the, the one thing that I kind of would push back on a little bit is just to say, okay, well, we are in a kind of a tight market in terms of, sure, we've got some great people right now, but in order for us to scale, like our team's pretty much at capacity, we do need to hire and continue to, to acquire people um, to scale different parts of the business. And so how much of their, of our current staff's time should be allocated to scaling versus doing kind of the current work and, 
and should we take maybe a couple steps back to say, okay, well, we're not going to take on any more new clients. We're going to just focus on building a scalable model um, and then go forward that way. Mm-hmm. So I'll let, Sam, I'll let you go. Okay. Yeah. So then if we think about that continuum again, I think this is where what you just said is right, which is if you take a step back and I think you reconfigure a little bit to figure out what you want to scale and what you think you'd be most successful at scaling, then process stabilization and sort of the more technical work that that, that that involves becomes important before you start hiring. Because anytime you hire, like you said, you will need more people to scale. It's being able to decide what you can either just duplicate because the market skill already exists or you have to delegate. And, or, you know, when I say automate, a lot of people think systems, but automating to me is just being able to push decisions down. That could be to lower paid staff, that could be to new staff, that could be to technology. So if you're thinking about either duplicating a skill set because it exists on the market or automating, the only way to do the requisite process work to make that viable is you have to have a stable process that everyone feels good about first. So I'm only adding more context there because to your question of, of course, we'll need to hire more people. You will squeeze more productivity out of people up to a point, especially if you align their energies towards a common, like excitable goal. But at that point, you have to wait till it stabilizes. One of the biggest things like we we started to wrestle with in the beginning of the episode is if you don't know what you're scaling, you're not going to be able to scale it successfully. You're just going to add more chaos to the environment and you're going to start accumulating costs in your operating model because then people are going to step in and their utilization is going to be low because they're just going to be shadowing and they're just going to be learning by doing and confusion. Um, and that, especially when you get to that million dollar mark or you're getting a six person team contemplating to a 10 person team, they've got to step in with 60 to 80% of a roll card already kind of visualized, which is like, this is what you will be starting to do. And when you get, you know, true proficiency at it, then you'll have more of a say in what you might want to do, especially in a small team. But you've got to think they've got to walk in with that role card clearly defined. And to define a role card is not that complicated if the process is stable. If the process is not stable and it hasn't gone through a few cycles of success, then it's always just going to be trained by shadowing. And then you start to to create that sort of mess that you that I, I can tell that you want to avoid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. You, you can't scope possibility. So it's yeah. uh, at the end of the day, you have to be willing to take a guess as to where the best growth area and the maximum, you know, what, what you should be maximizing and potentially what you should be saying no to or letting go of and just focusing on one area. Because the alternative, as Sam said, you flood yourself with people and hope it all shakes out somehow, you know, with the work that comes in. But if you want to do it intentionally, you have to take a step back and say, okay, what specifically am I scaling? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and like you said too, one more point, it kind of wraps what you're saying earlier. If you first take that step back and set a scalable process that's based more on the people you have and not on yourself, then it actually becomes easier to hire. Like you were saying that challenge should be mitigated because you're not trying to hire aspects of yourself. You're actually trying to hire aspects of the current staff model. And that should be easier for you to duplicate or for them to identify what they feel comfortable delegating or defining what they could actually find people to support them. Just like you found these folks to support you, you want to cultivate that cycle so that they could then find people to support them because then you're scaling the effort of five people and not scaling the effort of one person. And that actually becomes less daunting and less challenging because then you're not building that pyramid by accident in terms of the skill requirements. You're building something more flat. And that typically tends to be more sustainable from a process design perspective. Yeah. And, and I would agree. I, and I don't by any means ever want to build a pyramid style organization. I think, you know, we are a flat, flatter organization right now, as much as 
times to go this way. Um, (laughs) But but I do want it to keep it as flat as possible when it comes to kind of decision making and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Well, this is this has been I I know it's always you talking then us just like splattering you for the last 20 (laughs) minutes. So let me take a pause. And how are you feeling, Kevin? Do you have any uh, I guess, how are you feeling generally? And then we have some time for you to kind of throw some more questions back at us and and also push back or whatever feels you're called to, to say. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it, it's great. Uh, I mean, I've, I've definitely taken away some things uh, from this call and I think things that'll be helpful for uh, for us and for me, myself personally. And I, and it was really great to hear you uh, say, Sam, that uh, I'm not crazy in the fact that I only work uh, 15 minutes on it, each task. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have any other questions. I mean, the last question I guess I could pose back to you is, so I am in a situation where I own more than one business. Um, this business has always been kind of my bread and butter, although there is a competing business in my sorry, not a competing business, one of my businesses that's kind of competing for my time. Um, where where do you kind of delineate the, you know, where I should be focusing my time on uh, in terms of scalability? Because they both could scale. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll answer and then maybe Jonathan can give, this is because I'll give more of a personal perspective. Just like I commended you for your ability to drive productivity through switching. And to do that, you're already getting someone who can tap that understanding of, what do I want to do in a given moment and being present that will drive the most productivity? And in that sense, I would advise the same thing on a slightly higher level. Like for multiple businesses that you own, which everyone makes you more excited is the one that you should be leaning toward. And in general, that means as you drive more excitement, you may have enough energy to move back to the other business or the other business may wane and actually wither. Um, but either way, you have to trust that your own instinct and intuition is driving you towards a productive end. And a lot of times that too is like, if you go in with the presumption of how do I keep everything that I've created alive forever, that's going to be very taxing and eventually become draining for you. If you allow your intuition to guide you towards what you want to do in that moment, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to continue this chaotic switching back and forth and everything will survive, or you'll find so much more excitement and fulfillment, dedicating more energy to one and the other one will just will die naturally on the vine, so to speak. Um, and I think that's a very natural process and I would encourage you to cultivate that. Cool. Yeah, I would say there's a third possibility is you find a similarity in the activities that you like doing between both of them and yeah. you see how you could narrow your scope. And then you end up actually being, you know, you think about actually what I really want to do is just keep, up, keep on starting new businesses um, because that's the activity I enjoy the most. But I would definitely look at what am I, when I spend my time, what's giving me energy and what's dragging me down and look at the qualitative nature of that activity and try maximizing, looking, solve that problem of how you could spend as much time doing that. Not the should, not which business is more profitable or in a moment in time. If you, if you want to look at it from a sustainability perspective. Yep. Awesome. I think those are great answers. Thanks guys. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a fantastic conversation. Um, and it sounds like we all we chipped away at some of the very complicated problems that you're dealing with, which is always our goal here on the show. So what I would say is um, thanks again for the authentic conversation. If you or anyone you know would benefit from coming on the show, listeners, uh, please comment. Please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And other than that, Kevin, again, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.